Are you interested in cracking the customer code? You've got customers, and we will help you work with them to deliver a great experience to grow your business. I'm Jeannie Walters. And I'm Adam Taporek. Join us as we learn from those business leaders who get it. And a few who don't. And together we'll crack the customer code. Welcome to episode 35 of Crack the Customer Code. Today we are talking about how it is important not to overestimate how loyal your customers are. And we're speaking with Ramon de Leon, one of the pioneers of social customer service. And we have a customer hero story about Disney Cruise Lines. But first, a word from our sponsor, and it is me. (laughs) Confident, in control, successful. Is this how you feel when you work with customers? If you answered no, you're not alone. Customer service can be incredibly difficult. And my new book, Be Your Customer's Hero, Real World Tips and Techniques for the Service Front Lines, is here to help. Your Customers Hero is designed to help you and your teams gain the mindset and skills needed to create hero-class customer experiences. Get your copy today at BeYourCustomersHero.com. That is BeYourCustomersHero.com. If you're trying to reach business leaders or CX professionals, sponsoring our podcast is a great way to do that. Go to CrackTheCustomerCode.com slash sponsor for full details. So Adam, back in episode 23, we discussed Keurig's decision to make their line of 2.0 coffee makers be completely proprietary so they would only work with Keurig cups and not those of other brands. And we loved that idea. <laughs> yes, I believe nah. that might have. Uh, I think it I think it elevated itself to a genie rant even. I think it did. <laughs> well, you know, so just for anybody who didn't listen to that episode, which of course is nobody because we all listen to every episode. What Keurig did was they brought out their line of 2.0 coffee makers and the little K-Cups, they put a proprietary like infrared seal on there so it only worked with their K-Cups. And the reaction you, know, you and I had discussed, the social media reaction was very bad. Mm-hmm. People immediately came out with like YouTube videos on how to hack it and get around it and use your own K-Cups. And guess what? What? What's changed? They capitulated. Oh, moan, moan, moan. No, it's not my joke. <laughs> Washington Post joke. But uh, yeah, they actually, the backlash was so bad that they gave in. Well, good. And, and they're actually reversing um, you know, the approach to the product and all of that. I wonder if they're able to recover from having so much because the backlash was swift and furious. <laughs> People did not like that they, they had to use their K-cups only. Brought it up today because it's about overestimating customer loyalty and mm-hmm. taking customers for granted. And I mean, there are certain companies that can, you know, Apple would be one. <laughs> oh, ring the bell. We they mentioned put, Apple. I know we mentioned Apple, but you know they can put their customers through the ringer, and they'll, p- people will stay. Mm-hmm. But that's a very rare company mm-hmm. that really can you know have a truly big sort of heavy-handed approach to a customer issue and get away with it. Right. And, well, and they also seem to invest a lot in that one product. Like that was their big holiday push was the 2.0, and. The fact that the reviews were so terrible right away, um, they lost a lot of holiday sales. And then on top of it, to have the backlash of the people who did receive those as probably a big Christmas gift, you know, and then they can't use it the way that they want and they feel trapped and all of that. It, w- it was really, it seemed like they were pushing it out to have a big product, but not really to think about their customer's experience. Well, it was funny. It was such a big backlash that somebody was able to create a business around, you know, we talked about the YouTube hacks where you sort of pasted a piece of foil from an old K-cup on it. 
Somebody actually started selling clips. They made a business out oh, of wow. the demand to hack this thing. So it's pretty funny. And I think all these forces were, you know, Keurig was watching this sort of backlash and reaction and going, whoa. Yeah, well, they should. I mean, clearly that's not what their customers wanted. So I'm glad to hear they blinked. I'm going to be really curious to follow this and see if they can truly recover. Uh, and, here, and here's the quote from them. They said, quite honestly, we were wrong. We underestimated the passion the consumer had for this. We missed it. We shouldn't have taken it away. We're bringing it back. Good. <laughs> so there you go. And you know what? I like that they responded and I mm-hmm. like that they sort of didn't double down. Lots of companies do that. You know, they're mm-hmm. just so they, they don't want to admit they were wrong. So I like that they did that. I do, too. It seems to have taken them a long time to do so. <laughs> so I wonder how bad the damage was. Um, But I do like what they said, because as we've talked about, too, sometimes what humans just want to hear is, hey, this was wrong and it shouldn't have happened. And that's enough to actually earn some loyalty back. So that could help them in the long run as well. Absolutely. And you know who is great at listening to customers? Who's that? Our next guest, Ramon de Leon. Ramon de Leon is a global keynote speaker who started with Domino's Pizza in Chicago as a pizza delivery driver in 1986. 27 years later, Ramon ended his tenure with the brand as the marketing mind of a six-store Domino's Pizza franchise right here in Chicago. His career has given him the opportunity to work in Mexico as a business development consultant for Domino's Pizza and speak all over the world. He's been using social media for his business since before the word existed. Welcome, Ramon. Oh, I love it. Glad to be here. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Ramon. So glad to be able to speak with you. And I've been following you for a while, and I'm fascinated by your career path, and particularly how you started as a delivery driver for Domino's and then to where you've ended up now. But tell us, let's go back to the early days. Tell us what you learned as a delivery driver about customer service and customer experience. When you are a pizza delivery driver, there's only a couple of things that really matter in the world to you. One is tips and two are deliveries. So one of the earliest things that I believe really struck me was the need for repetition. Because if we didn't have repeat customers or customers ordering more often, uh, there's less opportunities to make tips. And when that is your hustle and what you're doing, Those are the two things that are most important. But in my case, I was very fortunate that I got an education from my mother when when in the 70s. And when I was seven years old, she decided to sell Avon. And watching how she would interact with customers so that they would get to know her, like her, and trust her are are those three very important points that that really helped me as a pizza delivery driver because I kept thinking, you know what? I need to do everything that I could so that customers get get to know me, like me, and trust me so they can buy from 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 us again. And specifically, if they bought from me again, meaning if they called me directly because I had these business cards with my cell phone number and my pager on it, there was a higher opportunity to make uh, make tips. So I would say the importance of of repetition and the importance of getting customers to know you, like you, and trust you so that they never leave you and they buy from you again. Nice. That's awesome. And I love total throwback to pager number on your business card. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, think, now think about this. When was the last time or ever you would get a delivery from, from, from anything, anybody, uh, especially food, and have that driver give you his personal business card? Mm-hmm. I can't I mean, remember that ever happening. I mean, never. Today, 
Today, that would be groundbreaking. Yeah. You would say, oh my, I can't believe it. I just had, I just had uh, XYZ food delivered and the driver gave me a business card with his contact information, his social media links so that I could, I mean, that would be an incredible story. Mm-hmm. But for me, you know, I, I figured I just did what I saw my mother do. You know, and she wrote, used to write it on the back of Avon books and, and hand them out to people. And I'm like, well, I, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do the same, same thing because I wanted, I wanted customers to start thinking, I want to order from Ramon who works at Domino's mm-hmm. more so than I want to order from Domino's because I needed to build those relationships. Well, and you mentioned social media there, and that's how you and I have been connected for so many years. Uh, and I'm curious, how did you get your start in social media marketing? Is is it true that you were doing this? I mean, yeah. it sounds like you were before it even had a name. Oh, ab- absolutely. You know, two things really come come to play when you when you think of social media. You think social media marketing. Basically, it's it's just it's it's relationships in a modern form, and and and, a, and in a form that scales. Because of, of so many different platforms that are that are that are out there, but the essence of me being able to to be a part of this from its inception is the fact of the relationships and the communications that I had with customers. So as customers started to use and, and exist in different places, now in the mid '80s it was paging and cell phones, but as 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 time you know, went on and customers started to exist in other places, I was following them. And I saw the shifts and I saw the moves where people were headed. But the biggest thing really happened in 19, it was 1997 when we launched online ordering. Now, this is seven years before Domino's corporate because Domino's corporate wanted nothing to do with Mm e-commerce. But one of the problems that we had is that the majority of the internet was dial up through AOL. So I said, this is going to be really simple. Even though we're going to be challenged when we come to somebody's address and we ring their doorbell and it doesn't work because they're on the Internet. If we were to have an AOL screen name or back then it was actually ICQ before AOL bought them, we will have a way of communicating with customers in real time to let them know we have received their pizza order and it's out for delivery. And what's the ETA? That was really the, the, the turning point that got us using social media because we now had a digital means to talk to customers. And customers actually wanted to talk to us during their order, during their, their order process. And so we were there to answer questions. We were, we were there for, for any comments or concerns that they, that they may have. And ultimately, when we were done with those conversations, the whole goal was to make sure that we made them feel absolutely incredible. So that really was the the, the beginning of, of social was ICQ and the instant messaging. Wow. I mean, it's great, too. It's great that you as a local franchisee were able to do that and had that power. So what's interesting, if you're, if you're sort of doing social in these early days, the platforms have changed, the people have changed, but what principles did you take away from those early years using ICQ and Messenger what principles did you learn then that you apply now to social media and customer interactions? Yeah, you know, those same things from my early days as a pizza delivery driver. Use the tools at hand that people are using so they can get to know you, like you, and trust you. So, uh, you know, through instant messaging, you know, when you're talking to somebody, you, you make mental notes and you, make, you, you create profiles um, on, on, on people. And I would say that that was really the, the biggest thing. But here's, here's another really cool example. In, it was 2005, if I'm not mistaken, November, 
when Facebook first hit Northwestern University. So I had a store up in, up in Evanston, and during one of my weekly meetings with the Residence Hall Council, the social chairperson, uh, Megan, she comes in with her MacBook, and she's smiling ear to ear like she's got a new boyfriend. And she says, Ramon, 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 you got to check this out. It's called The Facebook. And I told her, I said, Megan, we're already advertising in The Facebook, thanks to you. She said, <laughs> no, it's this kid from Harvard that's trying to unify all these students online. So when she shows me this, I'm thinking, okay, I've never seen anything like this. How can I become part of it? She says, well, you need a .edu email address. I'm like, well, that's not going to work. So as she shows me everything about it, we, we, we run across Facebook groups. And even before we knew you know, the terms affiliate marketing or community managers, she was the one who said, you know, I have an idea. Why don't we start a Facebook group for Domino's here at Northwestern? And we'll call it, um, you know, uh, NU, NU Rocks Domino, something like that. And when she did that and she invited her friends and in a matter of minutes, we had 38 people in the group. I immediately knew we are on to a new version, a new way of connecting with students. And I would say that probably one of the things that really set me apart from a lot of other people, my goal was to see how could Facebook help me get to know students 10 years from now, once these freshmen, once these freshmen get out of grad school. And if I, could, if I could use this tool to stay connected with them, this is where the real power is going to be. Well, and I think there's something that you haven't mentioned yet that I know about you, which is that you always had the shirt on that said, Ramon, <laughs> that, you know, like... You yeah. So offline, you were incredibly consistent. Everybody could pick you out of a crowd. You're known for your bigger-than-life hugs <laughs> <laughs> and personality. And I think that translates offline just as much as online. So I think it's it goes back to those lessons your mother taught you, really, about being who you are and helping people um, in any way you can and all of those things. So. I, I think that's really cool. So how do you think companies are succeeding or maybe not succeeding using social media with their customers today? One of the things that I believe that customers, that the brands and businesses need to realize is that there are some KPIs out there that are almost unmeasurable. And those are the important ones. What do I mean by that? Hmm. Love, and, love and empathy. You know, how, could you measure, how can you measure love? How could you measure empathy? How could you measure caring? It's almost impossible because we don't know what people are truly feeling because sometimes, you know, they don't say what they, what they feel or many times on social, on social platforms, even though we have the likes, the opt-ins, many people are, are just there to see how we talk to other customers, which, which for them just keeps them in their, in their mind saying, okay, this is why I do business with this brand because look how they talk to customers and look how they take care of, look how they take care of people. So, you know, for me, it's, it, it's really, you know, focusing on the relationships that you want to create with your customers and focusing on that emotional connection and living, living your brand through their shoes. You know, how easy is it to, um, for them, for them to do business with you? How easy is it for them to contact you? How is it, how easy is it for, for the customer to, to be able to, to reach out to you for a real-time concern. So, you know, for me, that's really kind of been like my soapbox with, with brands lately is, you know, too much of a, of a focus on, on numbers that you need to report that although they are important and, and, and may, may make you look good, you need to sometimes focus on the unmeasurable. 
because the, the unmeasurable is what takes is what is what really strives the depth of the conversation. I'm going to give you an example. Social media day is coming up in about a week. I get a, I just got a a tweet from from a friend and and a customer from I think like nine years ago. And Amber uh, King, she she just tweets like so excited to be at social media day reconnecting you know with my pal Ramon. Mm-hmm. That's you know, great to me. That's the essence of. Of that, that's exactly what I wanted. I wanted to create these long-lasting relationships and friendships with with customers that um, that they'll never forget. Yeah, and that's amazing. I mean, to have those personal connections. And one of the things I've found, and I think we've probably all found, that people who aren't very active in social don't understand that you really can develop deep relationships through social. And they're always great when they sort of blossom into an you know, offline relationship eventually. But you really can create these interesting connections, and you can do it both with you know sort of individuals and friends and colleagues and with customers. So I think your message is a very good one, and want to thank you so much. You've been great, Ramon. It's wonderful to have you. Where can we find you on the internet? But I know you're all over the internet. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I always tell the world I am just a, a tweet away at Ramon underscore De Leon. <laughs> I love the way you say that. You say that a lot better than me. <laughs> um, Ramon, it, it's been a pleasure having you today. And I want to point out, too, that actually both you and Adam, I connected with virtually first. And I consider you both friends. I'm not sure if it goes both ways, but <laughs> but yes, that's that's what can happen with social media. So very exciting to uh hear about everything you've done and I'm sure we'll we'll watch you globe hopping and speaking all over the world and having fun that way too. So thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thanks Ramon. You're welcome. Take care. Bye-bye. It's time for customer hero, customer zero. And today our customer hero is Disney Cruise Lines. Jeannie, do you know what color the lifeboats on Disney's cruise ships are? Well, now I do, because <laughs> we just talked about it. <laughs> you cheated. That's not fair. I cheated, yes. <laughs> okay. Well, here's a cool story, because it's all about the customer experience at Disney, as we know. They're legendary for it. Books have been written about it. They have a customer experience institute called the Disney Institute. So when they were doing their cruise line, they wanted the ship to really you know match their brand colors, of course. So they got a special waiver from the Coast Guard because the Coast Guard obviously has, you know, visibility issues. And so they have very specific uh, colors you're supposed to use. They got a waiver so that they could make their lifeboats Mickey Mouse shoe yellow. That's awesome. So all the <laughs> lifeboats are the exact that yellow color shoe Mickey's mm-hmm. been sporting since the, I don't even know, <laughs> early 20th century. <laughs> and it's just one of the many amazing attentions to detail that are part of their cruise lines. So... I know you're a big fan of Frozen, right? Well, sure. Who isn't? <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no they, comment. <laughs> I I just read that they were they're actually going through the fjords of Norway where Frozen was inspired um, this summer. So that's pretty cool that they're allowing the experience to extend that far, and all those little details that they think about. Those are the moments that we mention a lot as the overlooked moments that can kind of make or break an experience because you mentioned the color of the lifeboats. They also have their, their ship horn sound are the first couple notes of when you wish upon a star. (laughs) And so (laughs) the fact that they thought about that, that's something that people will mention. That's something that people will come back from a ship and they're going to say all the things that people say about cruises, you know, Oh, it's great. And lots of food and all that good stuff. But they're going to mention those small moments because 
that's something memorable and special about the experience that only Disney can give them that other cruise lines can't. Right. And if you look at this ship, I mean, I've seen some video of different parts of it and all of that. It is just fascinating. I mean, every little thing they have thought of, it's mm-hmm. just crazy. So one thing is they have this water slide that's on the deck and it's like way up above the deck and it actually extends over the ocean. Oh, cool. So it's like you're in a tube, so you know, you're not going to fall out, but yeah, it's, Hopefully. that's it. And it's really <laughs> cool. And so they do, they have a huge movie screen right there at the pool. So they're playing Disney movies the whole time. And one extra little cool thing they do is if they have a new Disney release, mm-hmm. it actually shows on the ship the same time as in theaters. Oh, that's pretty cool. That's really cool, actually. One of the things I've heard from parents who have done Disney cruises is that they understand that there are times that you want your kid to have fun without you <laughs> for an hour or two. And so they've done a lot of things that are both about being a family together and as well as, you know, providing activities for the kids so that the parents can have some time to actually have a vacation <laughs> and relax for a few minutes. <laughs> well, right. Yeah. They've got, I think even some adult only restaurants mm-hmm. and definitely, you know, they've got spa services, all that kind of stuff. And they've even got the kids broken up. They've got like a teen area, you mm-hmm. know, so the, six-year-olds aren't messing with the 14-year-olds and all that kind of stuff and having to play together. So it's really interesting. But one of the cool things is they've thought of all these little different things. And at one of the restaurants, it's like a porthole where you're looking out, I guess, into the ocean. Mm-hmm. But it's also a video. Hmm. So um, I don't know. Again, I don't have kids. So I don't know. about all. I think it's the Nemo, the turtle or something. Well, Nemo's the fish, Adam. Okay. Get it right. So ne- Nemo's the fish. fish. <laughs> right. The, tur- the turtle in Nemo. Adam, <laughs> I, his name was Crush. Thank you for that. <laughs> I'm glad we established that. That's an important fact. So he like comes up and he talks to you and, and they've actually got it timed with the meal. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't interrupt the normal pattern uh, of the meal. Oh, um, I, mean, I love that. Fascinating details. Yeah. Wow. That's really cool. So I'm going to send all of this to your kids. <laughs> <laughs> And you are never going to hear the end of it. Thanks for listening to episode 35 of Crack the Customer Code. I'm Jeannie Walters, and you can find out more about me at 360connects.com. And I'm Adam Tepork, and my website is customersatstick.com. Find more episodes and all the show notes at crackthecustomercode.com. Please subscribe on iTunes and Stitcher so you'll never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, we'd love your comments in a review. Let us know what you'd like, what we could do better, or who you'd like us to invite as a guest. And please tell someone you know. We love word of mouth. Until next time, take care of yourself. And take care of your customers. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.